Hello, and welcome to a preview of No Requests Live on the MTV Podcast Network. I'm Alex Papadimus, executive editor of MTV News, and you're about to hear our music editor, Jessica Hopper, talking to staff writer Doreen St. Felix about her recent trip to see Ms. Lauren Hill at the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York. You can find Doreen's amazing story about her experience at this show on mtvnews.com, but this conversation will give you some in-depth background on what it's like to wait for hours upon hours to see one of the most enigmatic performers of the past few decades. Enjoy. So last, what was it? It was Friday. So last Friday night, and into, I believe it was early, early Saturday morning. Yes, indeed. I started getting some curious messages from you. Yes. Tell me what was going down. Um, Do you know the book, The Lord of the Flies? Yes, I'm familiar. I read it in sixth grade. All right, awesome. So did I. So basically, much like those boys on that island, everybody in the King's Theater in Brooklyn was losing their minds because Lauren Hill had yet to come on stage for her own festival. And and approximately what time was she slated to perform? So the doors opened at 8. The concert was supposed to start at 9. The concert actually was in cap- collaboration with Tidal. And it was this festival that she's curating called Diaspora Calling. Um, and it was accompanied by some really beautiful art by Haitian, Caribbean, um, African artists in the lobby of the theater. And then also three opening acts, allegedly, and then Lauren Hill. It was supposed to start at nine, and it did start at nine. There were some like really dope rappers from Ghana who performed. Um, we also had Michelle Montano, who is a soca artist from Trinidad and Tobago. He just had the entire audience lit as all fuck. And then Stephen Marley performed, and then Lauren Hill. Oh, like a whole calendar day later, <laughs> came on stage. <laughs> and so she she was slated probably what like midnight one p.m. I mean so, one a.m. Yeah, I actually I was talking to some people who were sitting next to me and we did our Lauren Hill math and we figured okay if the concert's starting at nine, um, you know she should be on stage by maybe eleven thirty. That is not what happened. I think the messages I got from you were about uh, like one thirty Saturday morning. I think it and was, that you were still you were still waiting. Yeah, it was like, oh, I remember when I messaged you. I went on our MTV Slack <laughs> because I needed some company. I was so alone. It was twelve forty-five at that point, and that's when I started to get worried because I was looking at the ushers' faces and they looked really concerned. You know, these theaters have, um, you know, they have to close at some point. And I've never been to a concert that started after midnight in a theater like that. So I was nervous that they were just going to have to, like, kick us all out and that there would be an angry mob. But then, And that you had been waiting in vain. Exactly. Seven minutes later, the theater goes totally dark. And then on the left side, in the crowd, actually, all these dancers come out and there are drums playing. It was like a very pan-Africanist feel. What kind of dancers? Describe it. Describe what they were so the dancers were dressed in very questionable African, you know, generic African garb. Like there were some grass skirts going on. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which are not from Africa. <laughs> so it was kind of like pan-African luau. Exactly. A lot of face paint, glow-in-the-dark face paint, and these drums. And they drummed all the way down the aisle and came up on the stage. 
Still no Lauren Hill. Uh, but she did they keep going? Were they like were they like they were definitely vamping for Yeah, her? there were some nervous glances that I caught even from my seat a little bit far further back, but it was kind of just like, all right, like do we keep dancing? Do we keep playing the drums? And then lo and behold, the complicated and gorgeous and incredibly talented Lauren Hill comes on stage. Um, wearing this white caftan that casts this incredible shadow um, on all the dancers who were standing behind her. And she was just silent for about a minute. How How is the crowd reacting? The crowd, you know that feeling when you are like really thirsty and there's no water, or juice or anything like in Not the metaphorical thirst, literal thirst. Literal thirst. I saw people just like their eyes brighten, their shoulders unslump. It was kind of like Lazarus when Jesus like brought him out of the tomb. Do you guys know that story? Is everybody yes. a lapsed Catholic like me? <laughs> I actually I actually am familiar with parts of the Bible. Yeah. So that part in the Bible is this guy's dead, Jesus brings him back to life. That's what happened when Lauren Hill came on stage. I was I I love I love her as a Lazarus. I really love that. Right? Yeah. I think that works well. Complicated, but still Lazarus. There were three couples sitting around me who had fallen asleep, actually. <laughs> well, like on each other? <laughs> no. They actually all had their heads. You know that thing? You were on an airplane this morning, right? Yep. And you were sleeping. So I'm Probably sure that you had your open. head yeah. like conked on the back of the seat. Yeah, and like jerking awake. Yeah, with your mouth open. Imagine That's what jerking awake and all of a sudden Lauren Hill's on stage <laughs> after you've been waiting for like five fucking hours and you're like, oh my God, how much of this did I miss? <laughs> Which was exactly the feel. But then, of course, if you've been to a Lauren Hill concert within the past decade, you know that she has transposed, completely changed the arrangements of, you know, the entire album of Miseducation. And so when she starts off with Lost Ones and it's this like bossa nova infused sound, everyone kind of just was like, I can't sing along to this, which is an incredible choice to make as an artist. Has her phrasing changed with all of that? Um, by phrasing, do you mean the tempo or like yeah, like kind of words? just like the like her delivery? Like, is it obviously because it's not grounded in hip hop and R and B is how fundamentally how she's singing has that changed as well absolutely so she plays with speed a lot more um and i've seen lauren hill full disclosure three times in the past six years so i think that i'm you know basically an expert exactly in this subject so you'll see that her cadence is a lot more like spoken word poets I like totally hate spoken word. <laughs> but that thing where you talk really fast, it's like, unsure with the balance held. That was what Lauren was doing. Wow. Yeah. It's something else. So so backing up for for just a moment before we return to the the actual meat of the performance. Yes. What did you do in your waiting time? Did you bring snacks? Did you wander around the building? Did you go do your makeup in the bathroom? Like, what did did you did you lose power in your phone? Like, I'm imagining that all manner of pretty of much things. all of those things happened. So I got there at 8:45. I dragged my boyfriend with me because I knew I was going to be waiting for a little bit, and I needed somebody to entertain me. So I made him come with me, and we also brought our friend. 
And I felt so bad because my friend had left work early, didn't even eat dinner. We got to the theater at 8.45 and we're sitting in our seats. I went to the lobby to look at the art for a little bit. And the art was incredible. She did a really good job curating um, paintings from artists, black artists across the diaspora. So that had like kept me pepped up. And then Machelle, like I said, this Carnival Soka artist had the whole entire crowd lit at about 10 p.m. Then I started to get a little worried, you know? So I walked around the King's Theater. I looked at the really beautiful columns. I looked at the beautiful rugs. And then I came back to my seat. When the calendar changed, I thought maybe, you know, I should walk the 10 blocks home and just watch it via the live stream. Like I said before, it was in collaboration with Tidal. So Mm -hmm. people were actually watching it at home. And it was funny to scroll through tweets of people. What were people saying? They were just kind of like, is she still coming? It's one thing to be in a theater waiting for a performer because there's some contract there. You know, I paid this money. Nobody's telling me they're not coming. So I'm assuming that they will. When? I don't know. But when you're in your house and you have your live stream up, it's a little it's a little disconcerting. And I actually saw, like I was watching the camera operator. I saw him kind of put the camera down at one point. So I think that they even were a little freaked out. There are some performers that historically are known for being late, for being, you know, often then termed divas. You know, mm-hmm. Grace Jones famously hours late for performances, keeping audiences waiting, you know, way into the morning. But still, people are very loyal. But in the case of Lauren Hill, she has been mysterious. She's been reclusive. She hasn't put out new music in some time. And it, I think some people maybe even have like, some of our fans almost have like that sense of I don't want to say betrayal, but it's like she's not doing the thing she's supposed to as an artist no, totally. for us. Yeah. How did you feel any of that when you were there? Did you hear or see anything that sort of people being like patient about it? Or were people like, oh, yeah, because they expect they expect that kind of we gave you our money. Do this thing. It's mutual respect, I think. Um, I think in recent years some really incredible writers and thinkers are kind of developing the idea of fanhood. And within however you think about it, there is just this like tacit expectation that because you are paying for a thing either in love or in money, the artist will then respond to you in a way that's professional to say the least. And with Lauren, there were some people who I just saw were kind of like forcing themselves to enjoy this weight, which wasn't enjoyable at all. Like even the DJ, you could just see his spirit kind of dwindling after some point because like who makes a six hour set for a concert that's supposed to have three openers and then a, you know, a main performance. Um, so with her, it's complicated. For me as a black woman also, I have a lot of thoughts about labor and what we expect to take from creatives and artists who are black women. So from that perspective, I'm just like, fuck that. Like she, if you if you have to wait like a week to see Lauren Hill, then you have to wait a fucking week to see her. Because 
abstractly, that's what my politics are. But then when I'm actually in the moment, and I'm also another black woman, and this the festival is called Diaspora Calling, and the idea is that you're speaking to this very specific West Indian, heavily female community in Brooklyn, it does feel a little bit kind of like you don't respect us. People have sitters, ushers have, you know, they're not getting paid overtime for this, likely. Um, so I don't think I have a straight answer to that question that I think honors what I would love, like the freedom for black women artists to look like, but then also what I would want the, you know, respect and I guess mutual understanding for their fans to look like also. Mm-hmm. So getting back to her set. Yes. So she starts. People wake up. There's a sense of relief. People, are they dancing? Are people feeling it? Are people like, oh my, are people like it was, that weird end of drunk? It was and they're like, so, oh, I'm awake, I'm awake. It was such an example of like delayed gratification, but then immediately snatched out of that because people stand up and they're so excited. The musician, you know, Lauren Hill has an incredible band. Everybody knows that. And she's their maestro. They're they're getting ready to just like tear the house down. And then Lost One starts and people are roaring, but then because she changes the cadence to the lyrics and the music sounds completely different, there was just this moment of like, there was like a loud collective gasp where people wanted to sing along with her but couldn't because they don't know like what pace she's going at. Um, and that continued for most of the set. I will say that she, the songs that seemed most recognizable to the way that they sound on Miseducation were um, Do Op That Thing, which was the closer. And then this actually wasn't on Miseducation, but her song with the Fuji's Ready or Not. Those were pretty much just like, and I think, I feel like that was her concession to the crowd. She was mm-hmm. like, I know, like you've been rocking with me. This has been a little bit difficult. So I'm gonna give you these two songs that you can just like, you know, react in the way that you would to artists who are more faithful to like the original um, sound of the material. And how was she? How was she like on stage? Was she powerful was she um energetic yeah it's i think that lauren hill is obviously nocturnal she had this extremely intense almost religious or like quasi-spiritual energy to her like i said she was wearing this caftan that allowed her to be larger than her small body actually is so she would like spread out her arms and it looked like wings um she also she had a guitar um, I don't think that she was really playing it very much, but she had, you know, this like folksy prop with her. Um, so, yeah, the energy, I wouldn't describe it as like happy or joyful or anything, but it was extremely intense, especially her interactions with the band. She is one of those artists who will stop the band and make them start over if she doesn't like what's, you know, coming out of their instruments. And she did that a couple of times. But there was this really special moment towards the end she's already performed to Zion which we all know is you know one of the most gorgeous statements of motherhood in all music and all history and then she's like I have a special guest the guest turns out to be Zion (gasps) her son I know big reveal (laughs) 
And it was such a like blue ball moment because it's Zion, this mythical child that we know nothing about. He's grown up. He comes out with this like whack ass hype man and does a verse to LL Cool J doing it, doing it, doing it right. Like he does a verse to that. And she ends up like shooing him off the stage after 25 seconds. And she's like, all right, he made me do it. He made me do it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And she continued with her set. So that was such a moment. Like I already saw because, you know, I'm writing a piece on this now. And I was just like already saw the lead, like how I was going to frame it about this child who ended up changing the course of his mother's life and therefore the course of R&B, like is in the flesh in Brooklyn and Flatbush and has inherited all her talents. But then he turns out to be such a like, like he's just another rich kid who thinks that he can be a musician because his parent is. So that was that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, How long did she play for? What What time did you get home? She played for too long. I had my whole plan, like I was going to get the $5 box at Popeye's, which was just like reinstated. Like I knew how I was going to treat myself. Homegirl went basically until 3 a.m., which in any other circumstance would be incredible that the headliner, especially one as legendary as she, was going over the, you know, requisite 90 minutes. But when I need to go to sleep because I'm so tired and also like I didn't like pace my drinking right because I drank like around like, you know, 10. But then at two o'clock you have that like really like dredgy feeling. Um, It was actually, honestly, plainly it was annoying. I just wanted her to finish. How has seeing her in these last few years impacted your fandom? That is a hard question. I think the way that seeing her has correlated with my growth as a black woman is maybe the way to answer that question. Um, It's hard to be critical of other black women in public spaces where men are watching, white people are watching. You want to have this united front, this solidarity, especially when it comes to creativity. And I think that I had been doing myself a disservice by sort of like washing her and other like complicated black women figures in this amber light when you know what like some of the shit that they do is like kind of fucked up and that's okay. There doesn't have to be you know the burden of having to be like a totally radical like totally forward looking black artist is constricting and so for me the changes in my fanhood with with respect to her have actually made me a more honest fan more honest thinker a more honest writer it's like yeah like this person can be a genius while also being totally disorganized while also being late while also being a perfectionist to the point of destruction um so yeah i think she's actually a really useful avatar for me when it comes to the growth of my critical thinking. No Request Live is a production of the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at MTV News. You can subscribe to this and all the other MTV podcasts on iTunes. <laughs>